name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Let's open in our Bibles to John chapter 20 again. We're going to go back. We actually read this text last week, but we're going to focus in on verses 19 through verse 23. So again, open your Bibles there. Uh, If you're taking notes, get your paper out and we'll just get started. They say that Dwight D. Eisenhower and Ronald Reagan were two presidents that when they walked into a room, they commanded the presence of the room. So I looked up, you know, what, uh, what makes a person have command of a room? And this is what I read. Six things people suggested. If you want to have command of the room when you walk in, here's what you need to do. Number one, you need to stand up straight. You need to stand up straight. You need to use a calm voice. You need to make really good eye contact with people. And you need to make sure that you don't say a thousand ums, uh, which is really hard to resist if you talk a lot to say um, um. Uh, Have unruffled body movements. In other words, don't move fast, move rather slow. And stop apologizing. Well, I want to give you two more things that if you do these, you'll have command of the room. If you walk into a locked room where the, you bypass the door and you walk into a locked room and you are risen from the dead, I guarantee you that you will have command of the room, that you'll get everybody's attention. Now, obviously, I'm being a little bit lighthearted as we begin, but that's exactly the situation that we have in John's gospel. The disciples are behind locked doors. It's the night, uh, the first night of Jesus' resurrection, and Jesus walks into the room. The disciples are confused. They're scared. Like I said, they're behind locked doors. And evidently, Jesus walks in without, uh, without announcing himself, walking through the locked doors. I guarantee you he has everybody's attention in that room. You need to remember, this is the first time that most of them have seen Jesus. Peter has seen him, from what we understand. Peter has seen him. A couple of men have seen him on the road to Emmaus. And some of the women that were there had seen him. But most of the people in that room had not seen Jesus risen from the dead. I imagine that they were sort of abuzz with conversations. Everybody engaged in conversations about the resurrection when Jesus shows up unexpectedly. And I can assure you that two things happened immediately. One, a hush fell over the room, the kind of hush that you would, you would think would be there when you see a dead man walking, a man you know has died, and here he's walking and talking. And the other thing that would have happened would have been every eye would have riveted itself to Jesus and every ear would have been straining and attentive to what he is going to say next. Let's let's read what happens. You have your Bibles, John 20, verse 19 through verse 23. When it was the evening of the first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace be with you. And having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So as Jesus steps into the room and he begins to speak, Jesus brings four gifts to his disciples that afternoon, I mean, that that evening. Four gifts that I'm going to suggest in just a little bit are gifts that he wants to give or that he does give to every one of us when we begin to follow him. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus and he quotes Psalm 68 and he applies it to Jesus. 
And this is what he says. He says, but to each one of us, grace or a gift has been given as Messiah apportioned. This is why it says when Messiah ascended on high, he took many captives and he gave gifts to his people. Now, we all understand that when Jesus returned to heaven, one of the things that he did was he gave us gifts. He gave us the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So we all have these supernatural, if you would, abilities that God has given us because we follow Jesus and to use, the Bible says, for the building up of the body of Christ. We say that those gifts are the gifts of the Spirit. We even say the Holy Spirit himself was a gift from God. But what I want to suggest to you tonight is that Jesus gave four gifts to his disciples that evening with uh, with his presence with them. And again, uh, I want to say it. These are four gifts that I believe he has given to every one of us who follow him. And so my goal, my desire this morning in, in this talk from this text is to remind you of what those gifts are, to encourage you to appropriate those gifts, because just because I'm given a gift doesn't mean that I, I'm going to use it or I'm going to take advantage of it. So my desire is to challenge us, encourage us to appropriate, to apply, to put on these gifts that, uh, that Jesus is going to give them and, and he gives to us. So let's dive in. What are the gifts? Well, the first gift that he gave them that night. I think it's rather obvious. But the first gift that he gave them that night was peace. He said, peace be with you when he walks into the room. And just a couple of minutes later, he's going to say it again. Peace be with you. Four nights earlier on the night that Jesus spends with his disciples before he is to be killed the next day, this is what he said to him then. He said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, I give to you. And he followed that up by saying to them that night, be, don't be afraid, be not afraid. In our text today, the disciples are afraid. It's really obvious they're afraid from what I just read. They're behind locked doors. Luke's similar account to this says that they were startled and that they were afraid. And so I think it's pretty clear that when Jesus says, I'm giving you peace, what he's trying to say to them is I'm giving you the opposite of fear. I don't want you to be afraid. I want you to have peace in your heart and not, and not fear. And I'm convinced that Jesus gives peace to all of us to replace our fears. When we begin to follow him, that's one of the things he, he bestows upon us is this gift of of serenity, this uh, removing of our dread and our anxiety and replacing it with rest. Now, this week as I was studying and looking, I, I came across an article of modern psychology. And in this article from modern psychology, they say there are five things that all of us fear. And as I read through the list, I, I think they're right. These are five things that all of us fear. So I'd like to share all five of those with you and show you how Jesus gives us peace in each one of those areas. Now, the first thing that they said in modern psychology, they said that we fear death. In fact, they said this was our greatest fear. We fear ceasing to live. We fear ceasing to exist. I I agree. I think that's man's number one fear. He doesn't want to die and he's afraid of of death. But Jesus gives us peace. And here's the really cool thing, everybody, because Jesus gives us peace because when he walks into that room, what he's just done is he has conquered death. He's alive. we, We have peace. He's saying, I'm giving you peace. Don't be afraid of death because I am alive again. I, I live. When he says to them, peace be with you, what he's saying to them is don't worry about the Jews killing you because they can't kill you. 
I mean, yes, they can kill you for a while, but God is going to restore your life. Death is not the end of you. God is going to resurrect you. They cannot kill you forever. If you want to fear anyone, he would tell, he would tell his disciples earlier, he said, don't fear man, but fear God who can kill you and destroy your soul in Gehenna or in hell. Now, I'm not sure that Sam had any chance to really think about his death this past week when he died. It came upon him so quickly. But that's not going to be the case for all of us. Sometimes some of us, some of you listening to me, maybe myself, you know, our death is going to approach us slowly and we'll see it coming and we know it's really, really, really near. And if that comes, if that happens to us, if you see death approaching slowly, here's, here's what I want you to know is that God gives you peace in the face of death because, because you know you will live again because Jesus lived again. Death is not the end of us. Here's the second thing that they say we fear. They say we fear suffering, especially physically suffering. Now, I need to say from the onset, Jesus doesn't tell us that you won't suffer physically. In fact, he suffered dramatically physically on the cross. He, uh, throughout the New Testament, we find that believers have suffered dramatically. And, and in fact, the Bible tells us that we will suffer. But here's what Jesus says, that in the midst of our suffering, don't be afraid because because he's going to be with us. He's going to help carry us during that time. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, Jesus said, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. So it's not that God's saying we're not going to suffer. He's saying you don't have to be afraid of it because I'm giving you peace during that time. It's a common misconception, I think. I hear it quite often. I probably have even said it before. Uh, we say things like this, that God is not going to give us more than we can handle. Folks, that's simply not true. God allows, God causes things in our lives so much more than we can handle. But here's what his promise is. I'm going to handle it for you and with you. It's not that you can't handle it. You can handle it. It's just that he's saying, I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to help you carry that suffering when it comes. Man, I know it's really old, and I almost hesitated not to, not to use it, but in my practice earlier, earlier this morning, I, I decided I want to talk about it. Remember the old, I don't know, it's a poem or whatever about Jesus and, and this guy walking down the, the beach together, and the guy says to Jesus, he says, you know, hey, I don't understand this. When everything's going good, there's two footprints in the, two sets of footprints in the sand. You're right there with me. He said, but, but when it gets really hard and I'm suffering and I, th that's when you disappear. There's only one set of footprints in the sand. And in this little story, this little, uh, uh, I guess you'd call, I'm not sure what you'd call, little story, Jesus turns to the guy and he says, hey man, that's the time I carried you. So here's what Jesus promises. Guys, when you are called to suffer, when you have to suffer, Jesus is going to carry you, and he's going to give you peace during that time of suffering. Don't be anxious for anything, but, but go to God. Talk to God about it, and he's going to give you a, pass, a peace that you won't even understand, that passes all our understanding. How can you be at peace when you're suffering so greatly? Now, I'm not saying, before I move on, I'm not saying that suffering isn't painful, everyone. It really is. It hurts. I guarantee you that Donna and, and the children right now, they're suffering, they're hurting, they're in pain. But Jesus says, and Donna has told me this is true, he carries us. He promises us peace in the midst of that suffering. Now, here's the, here's the third thing psychologists say we fear. We fear the loss of control. And I, I want to practically apply that and say we fear control when we can't provide for ourselves, when we can't take care of ourselves. 
In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus devotes a lot of words to this very subject about not being able to control things, your provision, what you wear, what you're going to eat. And he says, don't worry about that. He says, seek first the kingdom of God, and I'm going to add everything else that you need. In other words, hey, be at peace. I'm giving you peace that when you're out of control, hey, God's still in control. God still knows. God still cares. Now, I thought about this. Most of us are so rich, we don't ever need God to provide for us. I mean, we have money in the bank. We have great savings. We have good jobs. You know, maybe this coronavirus, one of the things that it's going to do is cause some of our brothers and sisters, maybe some of you even listening to me, you're, you're going to be at a place sometime where you're going to really need, you're going to, God's going to have to come through because you don't have it. But that's what his promise is. Listen, when you're out of control and, and, and things are beyond your circumstances, God gives you peace. Trust him. He gives you peace because he's going to walk with you. He's going to carry you during that time. When you're out of control, he gives you peace. The fourth thing they say is we fear separation, loneliness, and rejection. And, and I can see how that's true. I, none of us want to be alone. Well, maybe you, maybe you introverts like really lots of alone time. Um, but, but nobody wants to be alone forever and nobody wants to be abandoned or rejected. Even, even introverts, they don't want that. None of us want that. Then here's what Jesus says. I give you peace for that too. You know why? Because he says, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'm going to be with you always. I mean, I love that. Don't you? The apostle Paul would say this to the Roman church. He would say, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And, and if I could tweak that a little bit and say, nothing can separate us from God. Not life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come. And, and there's a litany of some other things in there. But Paul's point is this, you are not alone. Well, that's our SBCV logo or, or motto for this year. You are not alone. And you are not alone because Jesus is always with you and he gives you, he gives you peace. And then the final thing that they say we fear, all of us fear, is humiliation or shame. And again, I want to tell you, Jesus gives you peace in the midst of your shame. I mean, he carries your shame for you. He lowered himself for us. He, he hung naked on the cross in shame for us. The author of Hebrews says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Did you notice that? That Jesus did everything he did despising the shame. I mean, Jesus took on our shame. He bore it for me. He carried it for me. So when you're tempted to be afraid of shame, the shame of following Jesus or the shame of being known as his follower or the humiliation that might come because you are his follower, Jesus says, hey, be at peace. Or even, listen, even when we mess up and the shame of our sin comes back on us, Know this, know that Jesus bore your shame for you. And so if that shame of your own sin comes back on you, I mean, he wants to give you peace because he took your shame for you. Isn't that just incredible? I mean, that's one of the gifts that he gave those disciples that night, the gift of peace. Now, I'm not, I don't mean to imply that you don't have any responsibility in appropriating this peace that Jesus gives us. He gives it, but you've got to walk in it. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 6, where uh, Paul talks about the armor of God, he says we've got to put on the armor of God to fight the good fight. One of the pieces of the armor of God is peace. He says to appropriate the, the gospel of peace, I think he calls it. So we have to put on this peace. So when fear begins to rise up in you, 
When you begin to be afraid, I mean, maybe in the midst of all of this pandemic and stuff, you're afraid or, or fear just starts to overtake you. Here's what you've got to do. You've got to stop and remember that God has given you. Jesus says, my peace I've given you. We've got his peace in us. I've, you've got his peace. Appropriate it. Remind yourself of the things that I'm telling you this morning. Now, the second gift that Jesus gave them that day and that I believe he's given to us is the gift of joy. It says that when Jesus entered the room, he evoked this response of joy from his disciples. They rejoiced when they saw the Lord. The fear was gone. It was replaced uh, with joy. When Jesus comes into the room of your being, that's what he does. He gives you, I hate to keep using the word joy, um, he gives you contentment. He gives you, I want to even use the word happiness. Just a few days earlier, Jesus told his disciples, he said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. The joy we have as the follower of Jesus, it propels us. It propels us and it, it moves us because Jesus says, I have put my joy in you. And it's what propels and fulfills and, and, and makes our joy just all-encompassing. Perhaps you've never really thought of Jesus as a joyful person. I, you know, I remember back when I was young, there was a, an Easter Resurrection Sunday presentation they did. I think it was called Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, it was, it was tremendously moving. But one of the things about the man who played Jesus in that, in that uh, film was there wasn't a lot of joy seen in his countenance. He was always very serious and always very somber. And, or sober, I should say. And, and even, you know, the Bible says that Jesus was a man acquainted with sorrows, very acquainted with sorrows. You know, at Sammy's funeral, you know, last, uh, this past week, one of the things I reminded every one of us was that Jesus is acquainted with our grief because he was a man acquainted with great grief and sorrow. But in the midst of that, we don't need to forget that Jesus was a man filled with joy and happiness. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 9 says, God has anointed the Lord Jesus with the oil of gladness above his fellows. And that word gladness there at its root, it, it meant to jump up and down. It, it means to, to leap up and down. So it's the idea of leaping for joy. I don't know if you've ever been so happy that you cannot contain your happiness, but you're just jumping up and down because you're so filled with joy. That's the root. And it says that Jesus was filled with that gladness above his fellows. What that means is that, that Jesus was one of the most joyful, happy people that you've ever met, more than others, it says. I remember, again, going back in, in a few years ago when I was younger, they produced a film about Matthew's gospel. You may, have rem you may remember it. All the words that were used were directly from the, the gospel of Matthew. And, and the man who played Jesus in that Matthew presentation, this got nicknamed the, the the Happy Jesus movie or the Smiling Jesus movie because the man who played Jesus was always smiling. I mean, always smiling. What a novel thought, isn't it? That Jesus could have been a man who was filled with joy and happiness all the time. Let's go back to, to John chapter 15 in that verse where Jesus says, my joy I'm putting in you. Not that you're going to have a joy like mine. No, I'm putting my joy in you and it's going to make your joy full. I used to, I used to struggle in the, the, between the relationship, but, and I made a huge divide between joy and happiness. 
And, and I still today can, can see a nuance of difference between joy and happiness, but I no longer believe there's such a great chasm between those two things. I, I believe that joy and happiness go hand in hand. And I might even suggest to us that joy brings happiness. It, it's the continual, it's the waves of joy that bring the waves of, or it's the ocean of joy. How about this? It's the ocean of joy that brings the waves of happiness continually upon our life. If we had to distinguish them, joy could be or should be maybe seen as the source of our happiness. And it's finding contentment. Here's what joy is in its, in its, at its base. It's finding contentment in who we are, where we are, and what we have. You know, when I sat down with Sam's family and they were talking about Sam, one of the things that people said about, about our brother, uh, what they said about their dad and husband, was that he was a man... He was a man that was content and happy, and he didn't need anything really to make him happy and content. He was happy with a fishing pole on the back, on one of his back ponds, fishing. This is what Jesus gives us when we follow him, this deep, abiding joy that becomes a wellspring of happiness in us. Now, with all I've said, I don't mean to imply, everyone, that we are passive recipients to this joy that Jesus gives us. Just like with the peace. It's not just a, it is, it is, there is a passive nature to it. It's given to us as a gift. We don't earn it. We don't fabricate it. But, but it's not that we're passive recipients to this. We have to apply it. I agree with Henry Nguyen, who said joy, and I quote, joy does not simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. And I think this is what Paul means when he says rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. He's saying, hey, listen, choose joy. And again, I say to you, choose joy. It's the gift, the garment of joy that is mine. But just like I've got all kinds of clothes in my closet, I've got to put on what I want to wear. And the same thing's true with this garment of joy that God has given us. We have to choose to put it on. I think a big question maybe that I need to answer before I move to the next gift is, well, how do I do that, Jimmy? How do I, how do I appropriate this joy that you're talking about that's a gift? And as I thought about that, I could make a whole talk out of the keys to appropriating joy or peace. And, and maybe, maybe we need to do that at some point. But I got one suggestion for us, just one. If you'll do this, you'll walk in joy all the time. And, uh, and it comes from Isaiah 61, verse 3. It says, put on a garment of praise for the spirit of despair. Put on a garment of praise. Put on, a, put on an outer, outer thing to wear, this praise. Put on praise on the outside so, so that you will deal with that spirit of depression or that spirit of sadness that comes over your life. Choose to praise God, guys. Choose to, choose to just acknowledge out loud in song or just in your voice. Choose to acknowledge how good God is. Choose to see God. Make a decision to see the positive and the promises of God, not in the negative, but maybe the suffering that you're in right now. But praise God when your heart is heavy. Now, I do get this, everyone. I do get this. Um, some of us are born Eeyore and some of us are born Tigger. And for those of you that maybe don't get that analogy or what, that, what I'm talking about, I'm talking about Winnie the Pooh. Some of us are born Eeyore and some of us are born uh, Tigger. I totally get that, but listen to me. 
If you follow Jesus and you're an Eeyore, Jesus is telling you, you can put on the spirit of praise and you can choose joy and, and you, can, you can walk different than maybe your, your Eeyore self-born spirit is like. You can, you can live like Tigger. All of us can live like Tigger. The third gift is, is purpose. We've, we've said that Jesus walked in the room that night and he gave them peace. And then I said he walked in that room and he gave them joy. And now he walks in the room and he gives them purpose because he comes in and this is what he says to them. He says, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. In other words, God sent me into this world on mission for himself. Now this is your assignment. I'm sending you into the world on mission uh, for me. And of course, on being on mission for Jesus is being on mission for God. But, but that's our assignment. That's the purpose he gave them. Now, he doesn't, elaborate it, he doesn't elaborate on that assignment that evening, but we know that the mission on which he sent us is to go and make disciples of all the nations and to be witnesses for him. In other words, our mission is basically this, to represent Jesus. That is to advocate for Jesus in the world, that others might follow, know him and love him and follow him just like we do. And he is sending us into the world just like God sent him on mission into the world. Jesus is sending us in mission, on mission, on assignment into the world to advocate for him with everyone we meet and people all around us. Now, I did think about this though. Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I'm now sending you. And I thought, well, how, how did the Father sent Jesus. Well, here's a couple of things that I found that I'll, I think apply to us. So how did he send him? Well, God sent him out of his love. God's love motivated, motivated, him, motivated him, excuse me, to send Jesus into the world. And, and so, so it says, for God so loved the world, he sent, he sent the Lord Jesus. So Jesus is sending us into, this, into the world with the same, in the same way. That means that what's motivating Jesus in sending you to advocate for him and to talk about him is his love for people, his love for mankind. And, and even as God sent Jesus out of his love and Jesus came loving us, so Jesus is sending us out of his love and we should go loving, loving people. I, it's, it's made a profound impact on me. I've shared it with you over the years, but Bill Heibel once said, and I believe it's absolutely true, you've never looked into the eyes of another person that God doesn't love deeply. I know, I know that not everybody believes that, but I believe that. There's not a single person that God has created that God doesn't love deeply, and that is the motivation by which Jesus is sending you on assignment into this world for him. And the second thing that I thought of with regard to as the Father sent Jesus, so he's sending us, it, 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 was, it was to be Jesus' main objective. His mission for the Father was to be central in importance to him. And so Jesus would say things like, I've come to seek and to save the world. He would say, for this reason, I was born. He would say to the Father, I have come doing your will. So for Jesus, the mission was a priori. It was, it was of first importance for him. And so Jesus says, as the Father sent me, and, and evidently instilling in Jesus the importance of his mission, I want to say to all of you today that the mission, the assignment, the purpose that God has given us, it needs to be priority for you and me. It needs to be of first importance. We need to be, we need to somehow think about our mission, uh, be on mission. Let's confess. Let's confess together, everyone. It's really easy, isn't it, to just get 
focused and bogged down on just living life. And God's not saying don't live life. He's not saying don't enjoy life that I've given you. He's he's not saying don't enjoy companionship and friendship and vacations. He's not saying, you know, live your life like, you know, woe is me kind of thing. That's not what I'm talking about. But I am telling you that in the midst of living life, let's not forget what God wants us to be about, i.e. advocating for him. Let's make it of first importance. And you cannot, listen everyone, you cannot say it just is, it's of first importance for Jimmy and for Michael and for every vocational pastor or uh, you know, leader that you know in ministry. I mean, yes, that becomes our livelihood. So there is, a, there, there is an added dimension to that. But listen, I don't care if you work in the shipyard. I don't care if you work down here at the nuclear plant. Man, I don't, I don't care if you're in, um, in restaurant, but I don't, whatever it is. Listen, your, your mission is to advocate for Jesus. Make it a priority. Let me, let me ask you a thoughtful question here. And it's a question for you to just meditate on and think a little bit. You know, have you personally embraced this, this purpose that Jesus has for you? Have you embraced this mission? And again, I, I know the mission, we, we could even say, let me just add this. We could even say the mission is bigger than what I'm making it when I talk about advocating for Jesus. I know there's other things Jesus wants us to do. But, but this, is, this is really important. You're to go and make disciples of all the nations. You're to be his witnesses. Have you accepted personal responsibility you know, for, the, uh, for the importance of that assignment? And that brings me to the last gift that Jesus gives them. And, and maybe this is the, the sweetest one of all. But the gift that he gave them that evening in that room and the gift that he gives to you and me when we begin to follow him is the gift of his presence, the gift of his uh, person, if you would. On the night that uh, Jesus was to die, or the next day, he said to his disciples, he said, I am sending you a helper. Then a couple weeks from now, he will say this to them. He'll say, you shall uh, receive power in the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And, uh, but on this night, he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. One of the things that Jesus gave them that night as a gift was the gift of his of his presence, right? He came into the room and he was there personally with them and that was such a gift. But there's, there's more to that gift that he gave them that night. When he said to them, when he breathed on them and said, you know, I received the Holy Spirit, he was saying that the Holy Spirit, that God himself was gonna be with them uh, always, that the helper had come, that he was going to walk with them. <clears throat> One of the things that Jesus promised us in this, this last few days uh, of, his, uh, of his life here on earth before he returned to heaven was he told them, and, and I think he's, he's talking to us too, but he tells them, he says, listen, I will never forsake you and I will be with you always to the ends of the age. And, and this is how Jesus could mean that because he was going to give us his spirit and his spirit, his presence would be with us always, never leaving us, never forsaking us. Paul would write to the church at Colossian of Colossae and this is what he would say to them. He would say in chapter two, verse six, so then just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. First part of that verse again. So then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him. So how did we receive Christ? 
Well, we received Christ by faith. We looked at the evidence for, for who Jesus is. We looked at the evidence of the resurrection. We got up to the door and we stepped through the door by faith. And we said, we have this assurance, this conviction that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he's risen from the dead. And we walked through that door by faith. We stepped through there. Jesus then says, or Paul then said to them, and I say to us this morning, as you receive Jesus by faith, walking through the door, now walk in him by faith. And and what I mean by that is walk by faith, live by faith in the things that we know are true. And one of the things that we have learned here is that God has given us the gift of his presence, the gift of the person of the Holy Spirit to be with us and to be in us and to always walk with us. The gift of the Spirit or the gift of His presence in our life is there to nurture us and support us in ways that we don't even understand, in ways that we can't even imagine. I know by faith that His presence is always with me, okay? He's right there with me to comfort me, to, to carry me, as I've already said, to guide me, to help me. God has given you this gift. He is always with you. And you walk in that gift by faith. Jacques Philippe said, and I quote him, the Lord can lead us wanting relative to certain things, sometimes judged indispensable in the eyes of the world, but he never leaves us deprived of what is essential, his presence, his peace, and all that is necessary for the complete fulfillment of our lives according to his plans for us. The gift of Jesus to every one of us is that he's going to be with us and, and he's never going to forsake us or leave us. He's going to be in us in the good times and in the times of suffering. Listen, I am never alone. You are never alone. Jesus is always with you. Max Lucado wrote this, and I quote, we Christians are always in the presence of God. There is never a non-sacred moment. His presence never diminishes. Our awareness of his presence may falter, but the reality of his presence never changes. And here's what he's saying. I, I, may, I may not feel God's presence, but God is with me. He's always with me. That's the gift he gave them that night. His physical presence in the room, but also when he said, receive the Holy Spirit, he was saying, I'm always going to be with you. You and I may stumble in discerning his presence, but it is always there. I don't know about you, but I rarely think of the air I breathe. Do you think about the air you breathe? Yeah, sometimes I'll think, oh, okay, breathe deep, you know, and I'm thinking about breathing and all. Uh, but yet most of the time I don't think about it. Yeah, but the air I breathe is all around me. It's there all the time. And in a similar fashion, you may not necessarily think of the presence of God all the time. You, you, but he's, he's there with you. You may not be conscious of his presence, but he is there with you. What we need to learn to do, everyone, listen carefully, and I've, I've, I've talked to you about this before, and uh, so it bears repeating, though, but what we need to work on, all of us, me, you, we, we need to work on practicing the presence of Jesus, recognizing by faith that he is there with us all the time. We need to remember his presence, think about it, you know, practice it. You know, Brother Lawrence was a monk from generations ago, centuries ago, actually, but he's best known for his desire to live in the conscious presence, conscious presence of God. 
And this is what he said. The most holy and important practice in the spiritual life is the presence of God. That is every moment to take great pleasure that God is with you. And Brother Lawrence, what he tried to always do was he, he would try when he was washing dish, dishes, when he was mowing the grass. He didn't mow the grass. When he was washing dishes or whatever he was doing, whatever you and I are doing, to remember God is, God is here with me. He's, he's with me here as I mow my grass. He's with me here as I'm driving down the road. He's with me at every moment. Alan Woods, in the same vein, said it takes practice to become proficient at something. Practicing the presence of God will make us good at it. And if there's one thing that I hope that you'll walk away from this talk this morning is with just a desire to appropriate these gifts that God is giving us, and, and specifically maybe even more than the others, that is to, to practice, to appropriate the presence of God with you. You have been given, and I have been given a great gift. God is always there with me to comfort me, to carry me, to empower me, to guide me, to transform me. He's just always there, and I need to appropriate that gift. Well, there you have it, everyone. Four gifts that Jesus has given, I think, to each and every one of us when we begin to follow him. There were four gifts that he gave to those, those men on that first night of his resurrection. And uh, again, I believe they're gifts he gives to us. The gift of peace, the gift of joy, the gift of purpose, and the gift of himself, the gift of his presence. So what I'd like you to do this morning, you know, we're going to dismiss here in just a moment. But uh, when we do, why don't you pause just for a moment and uh, sort of like last week, why don't you just pause and if there's some people there with you in the room worshiping with you, why don't you just all pause and give thanks for these and whatever other gifts that God has given you. Why don't you take a moment to practice the presence of God with you right there where you are. He's, he's with each one of us in this very moment. Why don't you take a moment and just practice the presence of God and give him thanks and be filled with joy and renew your commitment to the assignment that he's given us to advocate for him in the world all around us. All around us. And mm. I hope that you'll do that. Jesus gave us a metaphor in the book of Revelation. And here's the metaphor he, he gave us. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him. So, you know, there's a metaphor there of Jesus basically saying, the ball's in our court. Invite me in. Invite me in. I'll come in and we'll have a, we'll have a relationship. We'll dine together. We'll spend an evening at the table together. Well, if I might add... If you invite Jesus in, here's what he'll do also bring with him. He'll bring peace, and he'll bring joy and happiness to your heart. He'll give you purpose in life, a purpose for living, and he will radically change your life forever by, uh, by being with you, never leaving you, never forsaking you. Let's pray. Oh, Father, what, what can I say to what you've so clearly said, in, in my estimation anyway, through your appearance to those men that night? And I want to thank you that I have such faith and such conviction, Lord, that all four of these are gifts that you've bestowed on every one of us today who follow you, that you've given us peace and that you've given us joy. Lord, I pray, that, I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would learn to, to appropriate that peace when we're afraid and we'd learn to appropriate the joy of the Lord when we're discouraged or, down, or downtrodden. Lord, I pray that we would learn to, to choose to walk in the joy that you, the joy that you gave us, your joy. 
And Lord, I thank you for the assignment that you've given me, that you've given me a purpose and a reason, uh, or you've given me something to, to, to work on as I follow you. And that, that's, that's a great thing. Lord, help me to be a better advocate for you. And not just me, but for all that are listening. Lord, help them as well to be better advocates for the love of God and for your, your care and concern for us. So I pray for my brothers and sisters. And, uh, and then finally, Lord, thank you. And I guess maybe the greatest gift of all is that you are with us, that you're never going to leave us, that you're going to walk through us, you know, through the midst of everything. Even, even now, Lord, you're walking with Donna and, uh, and all the children, um, you know, it, it says we're missing Sam. You're walking with all of us in all of that, Lord, and, and you, you promised that you're, you're never, ever going to leave us. And I thank you, Lord, that that little story is true, that when there's only one set of footsteps or footprints in the sand, it's not because you abandoned us, but because you carried us. Thank you for carrying us. Thank you for your tremendous love for us. We love you, and we pray this prayer because Jesus lives forevermore. Amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Thank you.